people with me to the book of Proverbs. Today we're looking at chapter 2, all 22 verses. Proverbs chapter 2. If you are able, please stand and honor the reading of God's holy word. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will know, you will, you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from His mouth, come, under, come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of His saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked, who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman. From the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to be departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land. And those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land. And the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, this is the word of the living God. It's not Solomon's best efforts. It's what you intended to say to us through your servant Solomon. It is governed by you, authored by you. Father, remove every distraction we ask from our minds, our hearts, maybe the issues of the day, of the week. Lord, we cast those things upon you that we might focus upon your word right now. If there's one here who doesn't know Jesus, draw that one savingly to yourself today, we pray. But for believers today, for children, youth, adults, young adults, older adults, for all of us here today, May we be open and attentive to your word. Continue to mold us in the image of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. To what extent would you go to find a great treasure? You know, as we open the history books, we read, about 1848, 1849, there was a great search for treasure in the state of California. What do we know it as? The gold rush. We know that as the gold rush of 1849. In those years, thousands and thousands of people left their homes. 
They traveled by land. They even traveled by sea to come to the area of San Francisco hoping to find a couple gold nuggets. And in order to get there, they had to do some some big-time things. They borrowed money. They mortgaged their property. They even gave up their life savings just for the opportunity to find a piece of gold. In fact, history tells us that by the end of 1849, the non-native population of California was 100,000. Compared 21 months earlier, it was just 800. These gold rushers were motivated. They had opportunity. They had opportunity to find treasure. And they were willing to go to great lengths just maybe to get a little bit of that treasure. And they knew that the search wasn't going to be easy. They knew it wasn't going to happen instantly. They knew it would take days, even months, just to travel to California. They knew once they got there, it would be back-breaking labor, climbing, digging, searching. There would be a physical toll on their bodies. They would be away from their families. They would have to deal with different types of weather. But they still approached their search for treasure with passion, with dedication, commitment, desire. Yes, even great determination. Now, in much the same way, the Bible today teaches us that wisdom is a great treasure. And just like those searching for gold in California, God calls us to seek and to search, the Bible says today, for this treasure with great effort to put in passion, commitment, desire, yes, even determination as you go after wisdom. If you have your Bible still open among you, maybe turn one page to Proverbs chapter 3. Because in this third chapter, there's a verse, and we'll put it up on the screen. It's Proverbs 3, 13 and 14. Here's what it says about the prophet of wisdom. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better than the gain from silver. And her profit, better than gold. Did you hear that last phrase? Better than gold. Maybe these 49ers should have spent more time searching for wisdom because the profit was far more better than gold and very, very few of those people actually got the gold. Well, today, beloved, our text talks about the value, the value of wisdom. And today it's going to be our goal as we walk through these 22 verses to answer the following three questions. The how, the what, and the where. First of all, the how. How do you obtain wisdom? Secondly, the what. What are the benefits of wisdom? And then third and finally, the the where. Where is Christ? found in this search for wisdom. So the how, the what, 
and the where. Let's look at verses 1 through 4 one more time because it answers that first question. How do you obtain wisdom? I'm going to reread verses 1 through 4. My son, if you receive my words if and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasure. Let's start out by pulling in a tie to last week's sermon. Last week's sermon, we saw the value of family. Family instruction within the home from parents, grandparents to their children. Do you see the first two words of verse 1? My son. There it is again. You can't get rid of the family culture of Proverbs. And it's a call, it's a reminder again to moms, dads, grandparents, even children. In the home, you're going to have the highest value and level of instruction from mom and dad. It's important that we do that for our children. But if you'll notice with me, in verse 1, after it says, my son, there's the word if. And jump over to verse 5, you'll see the word then. There's an if-then statement here in the Scriptures. What the Bible is saying is that if verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, then verse 5 is going to come along in your life. In other words, what the Proverbs are saying is there is a, there's a process to gaining wisdom. It's found, the how is found in verses 1 through 4. That God doesn't just wave a magic wand and say, you're wise. Doesn't do that. It's not magic. The Bible says there is a process, a how to obtaining wisdom. The how is found in verses 1 through 4. What we're going to find in these first four verses is just like those gold miners in California in 1849, we have to dig deep. We have to have the right attitude, the right heart before God. So as we approach this how question, let me ask you, let me ask us all a few questions. What is your attitude, your heart attitude towards obtaining wisdom? Children and youth, what is your willingness of mind to obtain wisdom? Are we willing to put the effort in? Because here's what verses 1 through 4 say. Verse 1, the how. It says, verse 1 says, we need to have a heart and a mind that receives and treasures up. Verse 1 says it this way, receive my words, treasure up my commands. What the Bible is talking about here is an attitude of being teachable. Are you teachable? Are you open to receiving instruction from God? Children, teenagers, even young adults, are you open to receiving counsel from your parents? Because the Bible is teaching an open attitude towards those people. In other words, there's no room for pride here. There's no room for putting up a wall to your mom and dad or a wall to God. There's no room for stubbornness. This is a call to humility. Because over and over the Bible says to us, God opposes the proud. 
but he gives grace to the humble. Do you receive and treasure up? Number two, verse two, be attentive and incline your heart. Attentive simply means to be a good listener. But inclining your heart, that's, that's actually putting yourself in a position to learn. I was a pastor and a school teacher for many, many years before coming here to Redeemer. And I've taught. I've taught everything from math, science, PE, all those types of things, Bible. Um, and I would always notice the first day of class. Maybe you remember the first day of class, of any class that you took. Think back to that day. As a teacher, I'm watching my students come into the classroom, and I'm, and I'm noticing the posture of my students. Some students will kind of sit in the front of the class, and their, their posture is up. Their notebook is out. Their pencil or pen is in hand, and they're ready. There's actually a leaning towards the teacher. This person is there. He, he or she's prepared. He, he or she's ready to learn. And then there's some students that come into the class, sometimes late. They don't have any of their materials. They just kind of plop in the chair in the back, and they'll fidget with anything or do anything other than look me in the eye. They're completely, uh, they, they just don't want to be there. Now, we've all had that day. I, I know that I've had that day. But you know what I'm saying? There's this attitude of being completely unprepared, of, of there's no way I'm going to incline my ear or my heart to this teacher. I'm going to just kind of do my own thing. This verse right here is saying, get away from that second person and be ready to incline your ear and be attentive and prepare yourself before you come in the room to be attentive and have a willingness to listen. And a lot of that, for Christians, that, that you, can, you can think about that and even apply it to the Lord's Day today. How much are we preparing ourselves through the week to come into this congregation, hear from God's Word, to hear from our Sunday school teachers, to, to through the week, hearing from your parents or at a Bible study, a preparedness, an inclination of heart to learn. That's the attitude of heart because you can see from this text, you've got to have this how to be able to gain wisdom. Verse 3. Verse 3, here's the verbs. Call out and raise your voice. You've got to call out and raise your voice. Ah, now let me show you something that's different between chapter 1 and chapter 2. Turn back a page into chapter 1 and verse 20. Who's calling out in chapter 1? Verse 20. Ah, wisdom cries aloud. Yes. In the street, in the market, she raises her voice. Turn the page back. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. Now you... You call out for insight. You see, wisdom has moved from calling out to being the teacher. Now the one who's calling out is the student, the pupil, you and I. And the Bible says the how of obtaining wisdom, part of that how is you and I calling out to God. Beloved, right here is your prayer life. Right here is our pleading with God. 
right here is our coming to the God, calling out just as the Psalms do over and over and over to the Lord. I have another verse I want to put on the screen. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Great analogy here. Listen to this. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up in salvation. Now, I know we have several people in their congregation who've recently had a, a baby. They have newborn babies in their home. And I think back to when my children were newborn babies. My kids always let me know when they were hungry. There was always a cry that you didn't have to go ask the child, hey, do you want some milk? They just let you know. There's a cry that goes through your house. We all heard this cry from time to time. The Bible says that should be the cry of our souls towards God. This longing, like a newborn child, longs to be fed the milk from his mother. Our souls should be crying out to God, pleading with the Lord, going to him to gain wisdom, to gain insight. Indeed, this is our prayer life. But verse 4 teaches us one final point about the how. If you seek and search. Seek and search. All those 49ers, what were they doing? They were seeking and they were searching. But again, the Bible says wisdom is far more profitable than gold. And the Scriptures call us to seek, to search. You know what this is practically for every single one of us? This is diving into God's Word. As Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy, he said, Timothy, study to show yourself approved, a workman who's not ashamed, one who rightly divides the word of truth. In Psalm 119, David says, God, I've taken your word and I've hidden it in my heart that I might not sin against you. He's memorized Scripture. Peter says it this way, Be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks the reason of the hope that's within you. The men of God through the Scriptures have a very high view of Scripture, and they teach us to keep it in front of our eyes, to hide it in our hearts, and to prepare it so that we'll have no excuse before the Lord as we use it in life. These verbs, seek, search, they're the opposite of what last week we saw was the foolish man. Look back with me again. Chapter 1, verses 20. Four and 25. Last week we saw the verbs of the foolish man. Here's what it says. The foolish man refused to listen. He ignored all the counsel of wisdom. He would not have any reproof. In other words, he was stubborn. He was satisfied with himself. He was going to completely shut out God, shut out his parents, shut out any authority. And these verbs tell us the exact opposite. So we ask these questions of ourselves. What is our heart, our mind attitude of the how? Are we putting an effort to receive wisdom? Do we even see wisdom as a treasure? Are we ready to receive it? Do we 
lean forward and incline to God, or do we sit back in the back desk in the corner with our arms folded and our head down? It would be an absolute shame for any of us to put more effort into finding physical gold than it would be for seeking and searching for wisdom because the Bible says wisdom's profit is far, far above gold. Receive, treasure up, be attentive, incline your heart, call out, raise your voice, seek, search. That's the how. But secondly, not only does this text teach us the how, but it teaches us the what. What are the benefits of wisdom? Verses 5 through 19 answer this question. I'm not going to reread all of those verses, but the answer is found in verses 5 through 19. And I think as we look at all of those verses, we see at least four different ways that the Bible teaches us that wisdom will benefit us as a believer. The first one is this. Verses 5 through 8 teach us that we're going to have a solid relationship with God. A solid relationship with God. These verses teach us that this person's heart and mind, they're going to have the fear of the Lord. We saw a couple weeks ago the fear of the Lord is the foundation of gaining wisdom. And we learned that it simply means to know God through Jesus Christ, to see Him through the awe of Jesus and to give a worshipful response to Him for who Jesus is and for what Jesus has done. And that a person who properly inclines his heart to God will know God through Jesus Christ. And not only will we know God, but we're going to have God's will revealed to us through His Word. And this is good news because this text says, specifically in verse 6, that wisdom comes from God. That you can't find wisdom apart from God. Verse 6 of this text actually teaches you that wisdom is a gift from God. So we see this this balance of verses 1 through 4. Yes, we're called to seek and search for it, but verse 6 says ultimately it's a gift. It's a gift from God that God grants to his people by his grace. You'll have a solid relationship with God. But secondly, verses 9 through 11 is the second benefit of wisdom in its discernment and a desire for good and right things. The desire for the right kind of things. Verse 9, we'll look at that one real quick. You will understand righteousness and justice and equity every good path. Beloved, you see, not only is the goal to have knowledge, but that that knowledge leads to right conduct. You can't separate right knowledge from right conduct. Some people try to do that. Some people try to say, I'm wise because I have all this information in my head. Now, the Proverbs say, if it doesn't affect the way you live, it's really no good. 
It's got to affect the way you live. In this verse, verse 9, it says it's going to affect the way you live. Your righteousness, your justice, your, your equity, every good path. Not evil path, every good path. Verse 10 talks about the pleasantness of right things. Verse 11 talks about discretion, the ability to know right from wrong. Time for a story. Y'all will probably remember this story. This is the story of uh, King Solomon. It comes from uh, 1 Kings chapter 3. The Bible says that Solomon was a very wise man. And there were two ladies. They both had children. Both had little babies only three days apart. And the two ladies were living in the same house. No one was there but the two ladies. Yet in the night, one lady accidentally laid on top of her child. And the child died. Well, she took the dead child and she went into the other room and she removed the living child from the other lady and put the dead child in its place and took the living child back with her. And the next day, the lady who still had the living child, she woke up to a dead child. Yet as she studied the child, she knew that wasn't her baby. She knew it belonged to the other lady. She knew that in the middle of the night that the other lady had come in and brought her other, the other child in. But see, no one else was in the house. There were no witnesses. So the two ladies went before King Solomon and they both presented their case. And you know the end of the story. Solomon, being a wise man, said, go get a sword. We'll take care of this right now. We'll just divide this baby in half. And we'll give one half to each lady. Well, the mother of the child spoke up immediately. Don't do that. Let the baby live. It'd be, it'd be better the baby lived with this other lady. Yet the other lady said, go ahead and divide the child. Neither one of us will have a son. And Solomon, in his wisdom, immediately knew at the first lady to speak, she was the real mother because the real mother would never say what this lady over here said. Here's what the Bible says about the end of that story. It says, And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Beloved, that's what Proverbs 2 is talking about. To give God's people a love for good things, right things, things that are pleasing in the sight of God, that we can have discernment to read between the lines when it comes to what is good and right in the sight of God. Number three, verses 12 through 15. This text teaches us about discretion in speech and behavior. It's talking about people who use perverse words, immoral actions. Young people, listen up. In life, you're going to encounter people that use perverted words. You are going to encounter people that have terrible, 
terrible behavior. And at the beginning of hearing these people, and at the beginning of seeing these people, their words are going to sound cool. You're going to think, man, I, I need to talk like that. That's funny. That makes me laugh. This guy is the, is the big man on campus. You're going to be drawn to their form of conduct. But in the midst of that, what does wisdom do? It teaches you discretion. It teaches you to see the end from the beginning. And it brings you understanding. And you will know that these people have no fear of God. In fact, these people are living for the moment. In fact, they're living for themselves. And discretion will come running into your soul, running into your mind. Because it's at this point that that which you have already learned from God's Word comes running into your life. And you're going to be recalling the Scriptures that you learned from your family, the Scriptures that you learned in your church. They're going to lead you and guide you. You're going to recall, the Bible says, what your parents have taught you in your home when you get to that point. A few years ago, I saw this in action. I was dealing with an 18-year-old young lady who had just lost a sibling in death. And this young lady was at her end. She didn't know what to do. Now, she had been raised in the church, even raised in a Christian school. And I remember going into her hospital room and looking into her eyes and just, I mean, it was less than 24 hours after the, the fact that this happened. And she's like, Adam, what do I do? What do I do? And I looked her right in the eye and I said, right now, right now, we're going to start putting into practice everything that you've learned in life. We're going to be putting into practice all those scriptures, all the biblical teaching that you've learned in your life, and that is going to be guiding you for your future. You're going to lean on things like to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You're going to lean on things like, yes, you can grieve, but don't grieve like one who has no hope because your sister is with the Lord. You're going to, and over and over, we're going to go over these scriptures. Everything that you have been taught is now going to be the ground that you stand on as you move forward in life. And that's what wisdom, that's what discernment is going to teach you. And that's not going to happen instantly. Christians are going to grieve and go through struggles, go through processes, yet Christians have something that the world doesn't have. We have a hope in Jesus. We have an eternal hope in Jesus Christ. It's something this world doesn't have. That's why Paul says in Thessalonians, there's a group of people who grieve because they have no hope. We as Christians, we grieve, yet we have eternal hope because we have Christ. Fourth, the fourth thing that wisdom brings us is understanding to morality. If you do a study of verses 16 through 19, Proverbs tells the story about a married woman a married woman who has left her husband because she's found interest in another man. 
The Bible says she uses smooth words. She's a wayward woman. She's very good with words. And to someone who's young or naive, someone who hasn't been trained in godliness or in wisdom, her words are going to sound amazing. She is going to make you as a man feel like you have a sense of, of, of need that she can satisfy. She's going to make you feel secure. Her words are going to be inviting. And for the naive, the young, you go into that situation, it's going to look great, sound great, feel great on the outside. But read further in this text. Because once again, this text teaches us to see the end from the beginning. Look at verses 18 and 19. Here's the end. The Bible says, see it, see the end. Verse 18, her house sinks down to death. Her paths to the departed, none who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. You see, she's not going to tell you that. That's not going to roll off her lips. She's only going to use smooth words to entice you, to lure you into doing something that is unright and holy in the sight of God. Because the Bible says, and we know this through practical experience in life, if you embrace the smooth words of the adulteress, that's going to lead to death. It's going to lead to the death of your marriage, to the destruction of your family, to broken relationships with your children, maybe disease in your body. But do you see right here, wisdom teaches all of us to see past smooth words and to see the end from the beginning. And there's a reminder in verse 17 about the importance of promises. I've been able to do several weddings over the past several years. And every time I do a wedding, I make that couple go through premarital counseling. They got to go through a big packet, right, Hunter? Marguerite, yeah, you've done it. They got to go through a big packet. It engages them in the Bible, constantly opening their Bibles. But one thing I make sure to tell them, not only at the wedding, but way before the wedding in the premarital counseling, is this. I remind the bride and groom that we, right now, we live in a time where marriage vows are held in very low regard. But we should remember that God is an all-knowing God, and not only does He hear our words like every one of us can do in this room, but God can do something else. He sees our heart. And God calls us to be people of integrity. That means we should say what we mean, but more importantly than that, we should mean what we say. And the young lady in the text today, in Proverbs chapter 2, the Bible says she forgot the covenant of her God. And when that man hears the smooth words of the wayward woman, he's going to forget the covenant of his God. Be reminded, all of us, let us say what we mean, mean what we say, keep our eyes on Christ, look past these smooth words, see the end from the beginning, and walk in godliness. 
That's the what. Third question, where? In this Old Testament text that was written hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus Christ, where do we see Christ in the search for wisdom? Some New Testament texts that we've used over the past couple weeks. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says that Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. We learned last week when wisdom calls, that's Jesus calling. Colossians 2.3, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We've talked about those two before. There's a few more I want to give you concerning Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 11, verse 31, Jesus is talking. And he's talking about Solomon. See, we know that Solomon wrote the majority of Proverbs. He wrote chapter 2, what we read today. We know from the Bible that Solomon was a very wise man. But you know what Jesus says in Luke 11? He says, something greater than Solomon is here. You see, Solomon was wise and he wrote under the inspiration of God. But Jesus is God. Jesus is greater than Solomon. Jesus is perfect, perfect wisdom. We saw in the beginning of chapter 2, Proverbs teaches us what to call out. Yes, that's our prayer life. Call out for, to God to seek wisdom. This is what Jesus says about calling out to God in Matthew 7. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Ask, seek, knock. Jesus is telling us the same thing. Jesus tells us in John chapter 8, be receptive to Scripture, God's Word, because when you're being receptive to Scripture, you're being receptive to Jesus. Jesus says it this way, if you abide in my Word, you are truly, truly my disciples. Yes, indeed, Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. Beloved, as we close this morning, I want you to look at the last two verses of our text. Proverbs chapter 2, excuse me, the last three verses of our text. Proverbs 2, 20 through 22. Here's what the Bible says. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But... The wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. The land. Indeed, this is a foreshadowing of eternal life. Remember last week's sermon? It's called The Two Ways. It had a drawing on the screen, the road forked, right? There were two ways. One way you went the way of wisdom. One way was the way of folly. But how many ways were there? Two. There's no third way. There's no third way. This text agrees. Instead of saying the call of wisdom and the call of folly, this text says one's the path of righteous, righteousness, and one's the path of the wicked. 
It says the path of the righteous will inhabit the land, but the path of the wicked will be cut off from the land. There's only two ways. There's no third way. The righteous is the one who fears God. He knows Jesus Christ. He's the one who seeks the Lord. His attitude, it's receptive. His heart, it's inclined. He calls out to God. He's diving into the Word. But the wicked, that's the man who's stubborn. That's the man who's prideful and says, I don't need God. I don't need my parents. I'm going to go my own way. He's ignored all counsel. He would have none of wisdom's reproof. My question for you today, which one are you? Which path are you on? There's only two paths. There's only two ways. And the Bible says you got to be all in because there's no middle ground. There's no third way. Believers here today, do you value wisdom? Do you see its worth? You know, just like those gold rushers, and I confess I'm guilty of this, oftentimes we value things of the world far more than the things of God. And when we realize that about ourselves, priorities need to change. God is continuing to mold us, to shape us into the image of Jesus Christ. Let's never forget the prophet of wisdom. And I'll close with this verse, Proverbs 3.14. We read it just a moment ago. Speaking of wisdom, for the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit is better than gold. Pray with me.